Welcome to Writing the Past, a space where historical fiction writers share their experiences and advice on bringing the past to life. I'm your host, Isla Finn. Hi everyone and welcome back to Writing the Past. This is our first proper conversation episode and I am super excited. Last episode, I introduced you to the show and shared three things I learned from writing my first historical fiction novel. Now it's finally time to chat with other historical fiction writers and I can't wait to introduce you to Bethany Hudson. So funny story, this was the first ever episode I recorded and I got myself a fancy new podcasting microphone. The thing is, I was in a very echoey room and I didn't realize how sensitive the microphone was. So my voice sounds hilariously loud and echoey throughout the conversation. You'll see later on. I've managed to edit it down a bit and Bethany's audio sounds great, which is the main thing. <laughs> it's just my overexcited microphone. So without further ado, let's meet Bethany Hudson. Bethany is a Seattle-based writer of historical literary fiction. She's currently seeking representation for her novel, The Shadows of Takubaya, while also writing her next work, a novel set in the 1910s, exploring the murder of a young teenager and a miscarriage of justice. I've known Bethany through Instagram for a while and I've loved following her writing journey so far, so it's been great to be chatting with her today. We talk about everything from her favourite person in history to how acting has impacted her as a writer, how she empathises with historical characters, her writing and research process and the advice she would give to herself when she was just starting out as a historical fiction writer. So let's jump in. Hi everyone and welcome. So today we are talking with Bethany. Um, Bethany, it's so great to have you here with us today. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. This is our first episode and I thought what could be a more fun way to launch into this than with an icebreaker question. All right. The question is, if you could have dinner with any person from history, who would it be and why? I might say someone from the book I'm writing, which is based on true events, but then I would have to spoil it and tell you what I'm writing about. So I won't say that. I think I would want to have dinner with Thomas More, Sir Thomas More. And and why? What is it that, that draws you to him? I'm Roman Catholic. He's one of my favorite saints. And I, I think mostly because he's so dualistic, I think um, as a person, he was both incredibly honorable and incredibly frustrating and pigheaded. He had a great Great sense of humor. He was a really wonderful family man. I think I think he would just be a fun conversationalist. Obviously, he's very witty. I also would just love to pick his brain about kind of the the journey that he went on as, as a man of faith and as you know someone who really had the rug of, of his entire philosophy of life pulled out from under him in a very very quick span of time. And I, I've always wondered how much of the things he did were, were just guttural reaction to to that rapid shift and what he might have done differently. So yeah, I think I think I would want to ask him if there are some things he would have chosen to do differently. I think especially he was someone who lived in a very, uh, in a time of a lot of upheaval, you know, the church in England was changing so mm -hmm. much and he was confronted with so many difficult situations where he had challenged his faith and yeah he's a super interesting one definitely yeah and yeah. also he's a writer like us um which yes he was yeah. very prolific writer. so that brings <laughs> us nicely on to the next question which is can you just give us a little bit of an overview of your writing journey to now you know how did you first start writing and what's it 
been like since then? Yeah. I've always considered myself, I guess I would say a storyteller. So when I was very young, that would have mostly been writing, but I figured out very early on that I wanted to act. Um, that was something I loved. And um, I started, I think I was in my first play when I was eight and I started working professionally when I was 11. So that was, you know, that's what I majored in college at my university. So I wrote a lot as a child and through high school, but then when I was majoring in acting in college, it was sort of a, you know, I was in class by 7 a.m. and at rehearsal till 11. It kind of took over my life. I think I wrote like a couple of poems, but you know, mostly what I was writing in college was essays, you know, just trying to keep up with all of my, my general education work. And then I became uh, a mom in my early 20s. And I, I sort of figured out pretty quickly that the logistics of having a career in theater was very challenging with being a young parent, both the time commitment, the idea of extended travel for runs that were out of town, the cost of childcare was not covered by the minimum wage that we got paid here in Seattle as actors because I wasn't in the union yet. And so at least for that season of my life, I decided to step away from theater, but I am basically not capable of not having a creative outlet. And so I sort of dusted off my, my writing skills, pulled out some old stories I had worked on, pulled out my old, po old poetry journals, and pretty quickly knocked out a couple of novels that were both uh, contemporary young adults. I guess I was in my early 20s. Those were the stories I felt capable of writing at that time or felt inspired to write at that time. And my fourth novel, I, I decided to query. And I did um, pretty quickly find an agent for that. But at the time, the market was really sort of oversaturated for the particular story that I had written. And so my agent had recommended to me that we table that and then I finish the next project that I had started working on by the time, you know, she had gotten back to me to offer me representation. And then by the time I had finished that book a few months later, I realized I had kind of just personally my own my own style and voice, I had sort of outgrown young adult fiction. And I didn't really want to work in that genre anymore. And I, I really didn't want to launch my career in that genre, because I think I would have felt rather boxed into at least getting a few more novels out that were that were within that sphere. And it wasn't wasn't what I was passionate about it anymore. And I had always loved historical fiction. It was my favorite thing to read when I was um, was a child. It's still one of my favorite genres just to read. I also like a lot of classics, which kind of feel like historical fiction, even though most of them were at the time contemporary fiction. But you get that same sort of feeling, obviously. I remember the, the first book I read that I really fell in love with that made me decide that I wanted to write was Number the Stars by Lois Lowry, which is a his historical children's fiction. And, uh, and I always preferred historical plays as well. Like when I was working in theater, I loved, I loved Shakespeare. I loved Tennessee Williams. I loved anything that was, that was set in the past. I think The Crucible was one of my favorite plays that I worked on, which is set during the Salem Witch Trials. So then by that time, I was in my late 20s. I had a few novels under my belt. I knew I could write one. I had a better grasp of, of structure and plot. And so I sort of felt like at that point, I was ready to delve into the research and kind of the, the extra skills um, that I feel like are, I, I think there are several genres that have, have a little bit of I guess, like adjacent skills that are helpful to them. Um, you know, fantasy, for example, you have to, I think to write really good fantasy, you have to be pretty knowledgeable about government um, and the way societies are structured and things like that. And so for, you know, historical fiction, a, a big piece of that is, is both research, it's understanding the nuances of dialogue. And I think that the detail work that goes into cre creating a world that you don't get to make up, but also is not one that you live in. So I, I felt like I was ready to take that on because I felt like the actual writing of a novel was something that I now, 
I guess, grasped or grokked. So all, all the other novels I had written took me less than a year, you know, just several months to draft and edit. And they're obviously shorter also being YA. But it took me several years before I finished my sixth novel, which is the one that I'm currently querying. It was my first adult fiction. It was my first historical fiction. Um, I had several projects that I worked on through those years. And then this one, I just became, it became my passion project and it kind of came to the forefront. I was able to finish that one and spent much of the spring and summer editing it and then started querying it at the end of the summer. Now I'm working on my seventh novel, which has been actually much quicker to write. Um, I started it in April and I'm expecting to finish it by the end of the year. So definitely a lot less time than the three years it took me to draft (laughs) the previous one for a number of reasons. But yeah, that's that's an amazing journey, especially because you started in one genre and you had this agent who was ready to represent you within that genre. And then you took the decision to adopt this other voice that was emerging within you. And I mean, was it, was it difficult to change direction? Was it difficult to say, Hey, maybe I want to try something else. It was hard. I mean, I, in any career, let, you know, there have been, um, you know, shows that I've been offered that, you know, I would wonder, you know, should I, should I turn this down or not? It's always a really challenging thing to turn down an opportunity that, you know, is bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. (laughs) You know, the, the phrase, but but I I just knew that the things I was going to be passionate about writing moving forward were more in in this genre, and I I haven't regretted that decision. There are things that have been frustrating about it. Obviously, I'm you know still waiting to find an agent for the book that I'm working on now, and have been unagented for for several years because it took me so long to write that piece. But I'm really excited about the things that I'm writing now. And if I was thinking about marketing and selling the books that I would have been working on and pitching throughout these years, I don't regret the fact that that isn't where all of, you know, that that's not where all of my creative energy is going. I think, no, I think it's a really courageous thing to do and it set you on the path where you are now. And um, I guess the other thing that's super interesting is, as you said, you know, you were, you got a BFA in acting and so you were doing a lot of theater work. I mean, how mm-hmm. has that impacted you as a writer to have done acting as well? Because it's, I guess it's two kinds of storytelling in a way. And that is how I think about it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that acting's had a tremendous impact on me as a, as a writer. I would, I would say that in some sense, especially as a historical fiction writer, because you do an awful lot of research when you do a historical play. So, you know, I guess if, if I was to write in the eras that I had acted in, I guess some of the groundwork would have been laid as far as research. Um, but I would, I would say, especially in character development, the way I do that is extremely intuitive and it's just kind of been been built up and pieced up over time. It's not like I follow some sort of formula. It's just like my own weird personal process for it. And the way that I develop characters when writing a novel is identical to the way that I did it in acting. And that, you know, that hasn't changed at all. But I, I think that a lot of novel writing really is about observation of human nature. So dialogue, gesture, sort of the nuance and subtlety of of human expression is is kind of the bread and butter of actors, but it's also sort of the bread and butter of novelists in a lot of ways. So I, I think I became a very astute observer of human nature as an actor, which is something that I think has stood, stood me in good stead as a writer. I think one of the big things that is very different is that there's a lot more telling in a book 
than there is in a play. In a play, you have, you know, a set, you have costumes, nobody has to describe those things. And so learning how to translate the visual into words, um, you're turning it into a linguistic creation as opposed to a visual creation was a challenge for me. I think when I started to to shift, I would see these things in my head and then I would have to find a way to translate that into language. But that's also one of the joys of writing. And I, and I think particularly one of the joys of writing historical fiction, because one of, one of the great strengths or draws of historical fiction, I think both for readers and writers is, is the, the detail that goes into creating those worlds, you know, showing the, the details of the clothing and the setting. One of the things that's great about writing that you, you know, you don't have on stage is that you have all the senses. Smells and background sounds are major things that I like working into setting description, which frequently in plays, you don't get to have that stuff. Yeah, you can put in all those extra juicy details that can't always be expressed on stage. No, I think I think it must give you such a unique perspective as a writer as well to think, um, you know, you can really think a lot more about how these characters would express themselves because you've done it yourself. I think one of the things that acting really helps you to do as well is that, you know, frequently, uh, you know, you're playing people who are, are nothing like, hopefully, <laughs> some, some of them hopefully are nothing like you. you know, to do it justice, to do it well, you have to put yourself in their place and you have to let their motives become something valuable, something worth expressing. And I think that has really strengthened me as a writer. When I sit down to write, it's very similar to, to stepping onto a stage or into a rehearsal hall um, in, in that you drop those filters and you drop the judgments that you, you know, you place on things in your real life, you know, obviously, you're not going to go out and murder somebody or, you know, whatever the things that we let our characters do in novels, um, or the things that characters do on stage. So giving giving yourself that artistic permission to let something, even something horrible, be something worth exploring, I think is um, is really important. I think I think especially in writing historical fiction, I find that that's true because history is so multifaceted. And I think that at least I know for us here in the United States, we you know we like to teach our history as very. Um, I think of it as like comic books. We like our villains and our heroes, which is a really poor way to explore history, in my opinion. And so it's one of the reasons I love historical fiction, because you can do perhaps what the the textbook companies didn't permit you to see when you went through high school. You get to see the humanity of it. And I think that in order to really explore any time period, the good guys and the bad guys have to have to be humanized and make sense. Acting has been very helpful for me in that because I played several villains <laughs> um, and and, uh, and they were some of my favorite characters to play. Like you know, their, their, their logic and, and the way that they think about the world really does make sense. It's not necessarily what you want to bring into the world. But I think it's very important that we can step into those mind frames and, and explore them. Because I, I think if we can't speak to that, if we can't relate to that on any level, then there's no dialogue and there's no way to, to move forward and to learn from the mistakes of the past. So you have this view of the good guys and the bad guys, and you have the good guy who's trying to achieve his goal and you have, you know, the bad guy mm -hmm. who's trying to stop him. And it can become quite sim a simplistic view. And it's something I've learned the hard way is actually is that can't be applied to historical fiction because each side always had their view. Each side always felt they were doing the right thing. And so everyone had their own agenda, everyone had their own perspective. And it's really interesting when you start to unpick that. Yeah. And I feel like historical fiction permits us to do that in a way that perhaps we don't like to handle in the real world. So I know for me, when, whenever I'm writing a story, if it's set in historical time period, I'm always thinking about the ways that it parallels to the present, because I think that humanity is humanity. And, you know, for all the ways it changes, it really doesn't. And we do see history repeating itself. And, and I think that 
sometimes when we look at something in historical fiction, it's a little easier to place ourselves into the what ifs and the possibilities when it's stripped of the modern rhetoric or hot button terms or topics. It's easier to walk around in other people's shoes than, you know, than necessarily to, to take head on what's, what's happening in our news feeds today. It still lets us explore those things. And, you know, in the way that children play, it lets us imagine other outcomes. And, and I think that that's really important. And I guess that kind of leads on nicely to the next thing I was going to ask is, you know, when you're researching a historical area, era, do you have like a strategy to go about it? Because I guess it's difficult because every account is written by someone who has a level of bias, um, depending, I mean, it's the same today. <laughs> um, how do you go about researching in a way that can give you a view of both sides of history that can help you to construct a story from it? I mean, I would start off by saying that I think for me, the research precedes the story. Usually I'm intrigued by either some historical figure or some historical event, and I, I just spend a lot of time reading about it. Um, you know, that's that's just kind of like my own personal nerdiness coming out, you know, not, not with any sort of agenda, not, you know, oh, I'm going to write a book about this because... I think that, you know, just having an, a fascination with a, with a time period or a person isn't enough to support a novel length project. There has to be some kernel of a story that is worth exploring for 100,000 words or more. So I think that, that research for me is always how it begins, because I have to see if that story is in there somewhere. Um, and then if I do find that, then I'll try and have like a, at least a couple of, of really solid resources that are maybe a bit broad or exhaustive of just kind of understanding the the mind frame of, of the time period or the event or whatever it is that I I will read cover to cover um, before I begin and I you know try and keep those on hand those are the ones I'll usually you know annotate and mark up you know they're not going to be a library book that I'm <laughs> going to hand back um, you know it's something that I'm going to keep with me throughout the project those I try and find something that is as broad and unbiased as possible usually it's going to be an historian who's trying to to examine both sides find more and more of those resources nowadays I think that a lot of historians are, are trying to show more of a humanized and, and multifaceted history these days than ever before. Um, so I, I actually don't think that those resources are particularly difficult to find. Um, I think that as I start writing, I tend to, at that point, since I have a broad overview, at that point, I will usually only research what I need to research in order to, in order to tell the story. Because uh, otherwise, I could just spend years researching any given topic. It never, it never ends. So um so as far as that, I love finding, um, especially for primary sources, I love finding primary sources that are going to have the perspective of the character whose point of view that I'm writing. Um, so I, I tend to write in multiple points of view. And so various chapters will be from different characters' points of view. And um, I guess you could say like from different sides of history, different perspectives on it anyway. My last book was set primarily in the Mexican-American War. And if I'm writing from, you know, the point of view of someone who was, who approved of the war that, you know, that was going on, um, then, um, you know, I might choose the diaries of, of a soldier who was very, you know, gung-ho and patriotic. And, you know, if I um, wanted to be more critical of it, maybe I'd pick up Ulysses S. Grant's biography. Um, he was very critical of being a lieutenant in that war and, you know, seeing what he had to say about it, what observations he made, um, what aspects of camp life were sticking out to him as someone who 
really didn't want to be there in a lot of ways. So I, I find that to be very useful as well. Or for example, if I'm, you know, writing from the point of view of, of a woman, the, the observations that she's going to make um, are probably going to be different than, you know, maybe a male politician's point of view or, you know, what he may have observed in his diaries. So I do find that to be really helpful. And, you know, d- depending on the time period you're working with, you know, there there's often quite a lot to find. And the book that I'm working on now, um, all of my characters are, they're real people. So I can find their diaries. I can find their correspondence. I can find, you know, the censuses of, and photographs of their houses and things like that. So that's its own interesting can of worms. It's both, it's both really fun. And also, um, also can be, can be a little intimidating because because the information is out there. I think that's a really good point you made about sometimes if we have a controversial time mm-hmm. in history, a great way to explore that is through multiple points of view so that readers can see, you know, people on this side thought this, people on this side thought that. And it's it's a really good way to show a balanced view of, of an event that occurred. I guess the next thing yeah. that would be interesting to know, and you kind of touched on it already, but what does your writing process look like day to day? Like, do you have a routine or does it vary? I do. So I, I used to not, um, but we have a nanny now. So I have, I, I work half time. So I, I work about 20 hours a week. Um, so about four hours a day, uh, Monday through Friday, I take weekends off because otherwise I think I would have no life. I would just write all the time. <laughs> so this is my commitment to my family. I take weekends off. I think I'm what I would, what people would call a planter, the like in between a plotter and a pantser. Like I said, I need to know kind of what the kernel of my story is. Like what's the, the heart that's driving it or I hate to use the term message because that sounds so moralistic. I guess I would say like the burning question that I want to answer in, in exploring this story. So I usually, I know that before I start writing um, and I know the basic skeleton of my plot. So kind of your save the cat bullet points. And that just helps me stay on track because I, I'm such a history nerd. Like I could just get so steeped in so many different things that if I'm not tying it all back into the story and like the, you know, the major character arc, then it could wind up as a very tangled web of tangents. So I do need to have some sort of structure. And I guess my writing day is I tend to sit down in the morning uh, when our nanny gets here and I either look over any research that I tagged for that day or I read over what I wrote the day before. I know some people really don't like to do that, but I, I always read over what I did the day before. It sort of just helps me get back into it and get back into the voice that I'm using for whatever point of view I'm writing from at that point. And then I just write <laughs> until until my time is up and then I leave any notes for myself about where I want to start off the next day. I think it was was it Ernest Hemingway who said, like, always, always write knowing where you're going to pick up. Stop writing when you still have something you want to write. <laughs> um, I, I tend to, to follow that. I, I like to stop when I know that I still have something left to say so that I can easily get back into it the next day. I do edit as I go. So I usually have a sense of what approximate word count I'm going to have by the end of the book. And that just sort of helps me to stay on track figuring out like, okay, am I, am I streamlining this story down to what it needs to be? Or am I getting a little verbose about, you know, some particular aspect that I'm really, you know, is kind of like a pet interest of mine. (laughs) I tend to write a quarter of a novel and I, I write somewhat slowly. I would say I can write in bursts, but it takes me about a week to two weeks to write a chapter of approximately three to 4,000 words. Once I'm done with like a quarter section of the novel, I'll go back and I'll 
kind of do preliminary structural edits on it. I, I won't like correct punctuation or anything like that, um, but preliminary structural edits. And I'll do that with each quarter of the book um, so that by the time I do that first read through of a finished draft, each section has been looked at on its own. And then I'm able to go back through and, and see it more as a whole. And I think for me, that just that just helps me keep a sense of the story and where it's going. Otherwise, I, I feel like I can personally get a little bit distracted and lost in the weeds. If I'm trying to look at it as a whole structure, if I can look at it, if I can look at particularly like the protagonist character arc, if I can look at that in quarters and see, all right, how much do they need to have developed by this point? Because I think my instinct is always to either have them maintain where they were in the beginning or immediately jump to where they're going to wind up. And so if I can think about it more in quarters, I can have the development be more gradual and more and more organic than actually if I hadn't planned it. <laughs> I think I tend to to jump to the end point and, and let them develop too quickly. I think it's interesting what you say about editing as you write, because I hear a lot of people say, no, just write everything, put it all on the page and edit it later. But I personally find that too overwhelming to think that I've got to go back mm -hmm. through a whole book afterwards and fix everything. I, I find that too much. And so I'm the same as you. I find it much easier to make small tweaks as I go. As you say, not be too perfectionist about it, but at least feel that it's together because otherwise I feel like I'm creating more work for myself later. I don't know. No, I, I agree. Um, you know, overwhelming was was definitely the right word that you used there. I, I also would find that very overwhelming. And I and I think also I like to touch base with myself because I don't plot out all the details. Often I don't even know all in this particular book, I do know all the characters because they're real events. But often, you know, new characters will develop, new settings will come in, new motivations will come in. And I just sort of like to touch base and make sure that all of that is tying into my central story. I think maybe part of it too is that I do write chronologically. So even, even if the timeline of my story is not told chronologically. I write the book from the first chapter to the last chapter. I see my books sort of cinematically in my head and that's that's how I pan them out and and each thing builds on itself. I guess I don't just mean plot wise but particularly character wise. Details, thematic details or motivations, they they build and they evolve. And so I think that if I'm not going back and watching that rising action pattern periodically throughout the writing process, I can just feel a bit lost in it all. And I find it helpful to to just go back and look at each of those stepping stones and make sure that they are kind of in, in the order that I want them to be in. In some ways, you write a very specific aspect of historical fiction and you write historical literary fiction. And in some ways, is that different? The voice is very different. I would say that the, the process or the structure really is not in the sense that for me, story always starts with character. And then, like I said, I need to know the bare bones of my plot. So I think my process looks quite a bit like a genre writer, actually. Often feels a little bit checkboxy. <laughs> um, that's just how my mind works or, you know, how, how I can best organize things. I think it's more what I give myself permission to do that I think changed my voice from more genre to more literary. Um, I think especially when I look at the fact that I'm writing historical fiction, I think I think a lot of historical fiction falls into kind of subgenres. So uh, a lot of it is going to be historical romance. There's military. And what I write really doesn't 
fit those categories. I've never written a historical novel that centered around a romance. Uh, even books that have that I've written that have been set in times of war are not what you would call a military novel. The book that I'm writing now is dealing with a true crime, but I wouldn't call it crime fiction nor a thriller. Um, it's really more about exploring those cultural shifts and those multiple perspectives. And so in that sense, I do think of it as more literary. I think that the the structure of the novel that I'm working on right now is, is maybe a little more traditional or a little more genre. The novel that I just wrote and I'm querying is is more literary in the sense of its structure as well. Its structure is is a little more innovative and very intentional and it's it's not a traditional plot structure. So for for that book I would say it really was it, was quite a bit different. I think I, I delved more into the literary side of things. This one, I guess, would be more maybe what you could call just straight up historical fiction, but it has some literary elements to it. Yeah, definitely. The last thing I would love to ask you is if you could go back in time and speak to yourself, just as you were starting out in writing, um, what are some words of advice you would give to yourself? I think I would tell myself to get involved in the writing community, um, to take courses, to get involved on social media, read extensively, be a good literary citizen, write thoughtful reviews of other author authors' uh, work, reach out to them, tell them what you loved about their writing. Um, I think that being a novelist can be extremely isolating. For me, when I first started writing seriously in my, in my early 20s, I was also a stay-at-home mom to to young kids. And so it was, I, I had a very isolated life. It was just as social media was really taking off in this kind of, um, you know, beyond your own friends and family sort of way. I didn't take advantage of that because I was at home with these young kids. I wasn't, you know, going and taking classes at a university or going to workshops or anything like that because I didn't have the time or the money to do it. For anyone who can, um, building that community is so, so important because there are just so many brilliant, generous, creative people out there. Getting in touch with them is, you know, can, can be a lifeline. You know, it's, it's not just that you're learning from each other or that you have companionship on the journey. Like it, they really are the people who have pulled me out of crippling self-doubt, who have, you know, been there with me in the query trenches, who will celebrate wins with me. Um, because quite frankly, I, th I think a lot of normal people don't understand what artists go through. And I, and I, I knew that as an actor, but I, th I think it didn't occur to me quite as it's like, you yeah, sure most, most people don't get on stage in their life. So I think I got that people didn't really understand that, but I'm like, well, everybody's written something like, you know, even if it was a college essay or, you know, something for work, like we all write, but it's like, no, okay, this, this type of writing, um, you know, the process of, of working toward publication and, um, you know, building these stories over long periods of time, really, for example, is not something that my husband, who's a computer engineer can relate to. And he is very, very grateful that I have found writer friends, because there are some things that only only writer friends can understand. There is a whole community of writers out yes. there, and mm -hmm. we can all help each other along. Bethany, thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your experience. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to Bethany for taking the time to share her experiences with us. If you'd like to keep in touch and follow her historical fiction journey, you can catch her on Instagram under the username Bethany K. Hudson, or you can visit her website at bethanyhudson.com. In the next episode, I'll be chatting with Helena Barnard, who has just had her first novel, A Painted Winter, published. It tells the story of two Pictish brothers who conspire with the ancient people from beyond the Great Wall to attack the Romans.
If you want to hear what it's like getting published, how you can research a civilization that we know very little about, and Helena's go-to tips for writing historical fiction, then you're going to love this episode and we can't wait to see you there.